Now we are seeing a little bit of shaking at the moment in government. And there was actually earlier on this year prophetic words to the fact that there's going to be great shakings in the UK with governments falling. And these things are going to happen because God is shaking the nations. There's no, shame, there's no Western nation at the moment in a sound footing. The euro, the pound, the yen, all these currencies are all very precarious at the moment. But God is going to do the shaking, and the prophetic word has already been, don't worry when he does the shaking, because it's necessary to turn the hearts of the people back to him. See, God's always in control. God never loses control. So be encouraged this morning. Now I'm going to speak from the scriptures this morning and the number of scriptures I'm going to go through. When we come to the New Testament, in the New Testament you have transitions. Transitions from the Old Covenant into the New Covenant. You have progression of revelation and we see the change that takes place. And this morning I'm going to speak about this change that takes place. When we open the scriptures, particularly the book of Matthew and the book of John, it's not very long before we come upon a very particular person, a very influential person in the scriptures. And that person is John the Baptist. And so what do we know about John the Baptist? Well, he had a miraculous birth. He had a miraculous birth. We know about his father Zechariah. He was a priest. His mother was of the daughters of Aaron. So John the Baptist is coming down through the priestly lineage. He's a priest in his own right. His father's credentials is from the course of Abia, which was the very things that David set up in Chronicles and Divisions of the Priesthood. And his parents were long past the age of being able to have any children when the angel of the Lord spoke to him. And his father was struck dumb because he doubted the word of the angel. He had trouble believing the words of the angel and so he was struck dumb. Not only that, but every priest and every person from the chief rabbi right down through all the Sanhedrin, everybody who was in the temple knew about John. Everyone knew what happened with John. And the angel told John, Zechariah, name the child John. And so he was given the name of John. And we know him as John the Baptist. And the verse of scripture that tells us very clearly about his ministry and where he ministered is found in Isaiah chapter 40. 
verse 3. In this verse of scripture it says, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. A voice in the wilderness. Where did John preach? He preached in the wilderness. He preached down at the river Jordan. And the Bible says the people came out to hear him. Now that's quite amazing. That is an amazing thing. If you know where the river Jordan is, you know where Jerusalem is, that's not a five minute walk. If you're going to go to the river Jordan, you're going to go out from Jerusalem, you're going to walk down through the hillside, down on your way to Jericho. Then you're going to go past Jericho and you're going to cross the plain until you come to the river Jordan. So you're going for a very long walk, you're going to be away in the heat for a long time. But the Bible says the people came to hear John. And he wasn't your typical priest. He was dressed in an extraordinary manner. And that right away would put people, particularly religious people, would put them off. But he had a very powerful ministry. He preached repentance. He preached repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. His words were very powerful. He was preaching to the multitudes. And he had a powerful ministry. He said, you need to get rid of your You need to repent of your sins. Do you know how evil and wicked your hearts are? Do you know how corrupt you are? You need to get right with God. You need to repent now. And the fact that his fame got so great that the religious people in Jerusalem had to say, send people down there to find out what's going on. Get people down there. What's going on down there? And so when they come to the river Jordan, he blasts them. He says, these are just white sepulchres. And his words were very ferocious against them. Because the priests were there to teach the word of God. And they had been teaching the commandments of men. And he is there preaching and his ministry is powerful. And he preaches and he says in Matthew 3, 11, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And so John is very careful to contrast his ministry with the coming Messiah. He said, I'm baptizing you with water. And your flesh can be relatively comfortable with water. I said, but the one who's coming after me is going to baptize with the Holy Ghost and with fire. I said, and your flesh is, does not like fire. So he gives a distinction where when you can be comfortable, but when he comes and the fire of God comes, you will not be comfortable. You're going to be in a different place altogether. And he's baptizing in water. And he's preaching to the multitude. And the day comes when Jesus comes. And when Jesus comes, he says, the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The one who baptizes in the Holy Ghost and with fire. And the passage indicates there's going to be a profound life-changing experience. 
And it's not going to be something quiet. It's not going to be something casual. It's not going to be something that's going to go unnoticed. But rather it's going to be something phenomenal. And so when John preaches, he sees Jesus coming. And in front of everybody he says, there is the Son of God. Here, Jesus is the Son of God. He is the one that's going to baptize you in the Holy Ghost. He is the one that's going to baptize you in the Holy Ghost and the fire. He is the Messiah. And when Jesus comes into the river Jordan and he baptizes Jesus, you know, there's something invisible happens. There is a transference from the Levitical priesthood to a priesthood that is greater than the Levitical priesthood. Because the Bible says Jesus is after the priesthood of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek is a priest, and he was a gentle priest. And he came to Abraham, and he blessed Abraham, and he blessed the Levitical priesthood that still was to come. So this transference takes place in the river Jordan, and everyone there are blind to it. But Jesus is baptized in the Holy Ghost, and baptized in water at the river Jordan by John the Baptist. And so, when we know when Pentecost comes, it was a phenomenal thing, because it wasn't quiet, it wasn't casual, and it was a life-changing experience. Now, Jesus taught about the Holy Spirit. But Jesus' life was also centered on the Holy Spirit. If you look at Jesus' life, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. River of Jordan, the Holy Spirit came upon him, baptized by the Holy Spirit. He is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness where he is tempted of Satan. Acts 10, 13 said, he performed mighty works by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Hebrews 9 tells us, how much more shall the blood of Christ through the eternal spirit purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. We also know reading Peter, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. In the post-resurrection, he comes to the apostles through the Holy Spirit. So Jesus' life was all centered on the Holy Spirit and being led of the Holy Spirit, not on his divinity as the Son of God. And so when Jesus comes, he starts to give us teaching. And in John 14, in verse 17, 18, he starts to speak and Jesus calls the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth. Jesus states, the world cannot receive the Spirit of Truth, but when it went on to say, you know him, for he dwelleth with you, but he shall be in you. You know him, because he dwells with you, he's abiding with you, he said, but he's going to be in you. So Jesus starts to unfold and, and tell people about the Holy Spirit. And so when we come to Paul's writing, 
In Romans 8, 9, we find, Now if any man had not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So we have to have the Spirit of Christ in us if we be to belong to Jesus Christ. But when we come to Christ, we are born of the Spirit. It is the only way into the Kingdom of God. There's no other way into that Kingdom. And when this happens, the Bible tells us we are sealed with the Spirit and become part of the body of Christ. And in John 20 22 we read that Jesus breathed on the disciples so that the Holy Ghost would come permanently and indwell them. After the resurrection, Jesus comes to the disciples and he breathed upon them the Holy Ghost. So that spirit that was abiding with them after the resurrection, Jesus breathed upon them so that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, would become permanently in the individuals. Just as Jesus taught, He will be with you, but He shall be in you. And so from that point, when they received the Holy Spirit, they could expect to feel the presence of the Spirit. They could expect to be led and guided by the Spirit. They could expect to be comforted by the Spirit. Because Jesus is saying, He dwells with you but he will now be in you. So, we have the Holy Spirit in the world. And John 16, 8-11 tells us about the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a comforter who comes, but he is the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts the world of sin. He convicts the world of sin. Now, the Bible talks about people having a conscience. Paul mentions it when he says their conscience bearing witness. You know, people's conscience can stir them up. People's conscience can bother people. When they do things that are not right, their conscience can trouble them. Conscience can produce fear, remorse, but it never stops a person from doing wrong. And that's because a conscience doesn't impart any power. It's the Holy Spirit that imparts power and is able for you to change your life. Your conscience can accuse you or excuse you, but the Holy Spirit, He comes to condemn you. He comes to convict you of sin. See, the conscience convicts people of sin against the law. It convicts people that you should not steal. You should not kill. You should not commit adultery. You should not, and the law gets all the things that you should not do. And so your conscience bothers you when you transgress the law. So when those sins are committed, conscience convicts of those sins. But that's not what the Holy Spirit convicts of. The Holy Spirit convicts of none of these things. The Holy Spirit convicts of a very special sin. The Holy Spirit convicts of unbelief. Of sin because they believe not on me. It's a sin of omission. 
And the Holy Spirit convicts people because they do not believe Christ. When we go to Acts chapter 2, and Peter gets up and he preaches. And he, he preaches how they rejected the Son of God. How they crucified the Son of God. How they did not believe he was the Son of God. What happened? Their hearts were pricked. And they said, what must we do to be saved? They cried out, what must we do? Because they were getting convicted of their unbelief. And Paul writes to the church in Rome, talking to them about the gospel. He said it's a free gift. The gospel is a free gift. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin. They convicts of Jesus as the Son of God. And when people respond, it's a free gift. And they get the revelation of who Jesus is and they're born of the Spirit of God. And no person goes into eternity due to their sins. That's not why people get lost and go to hell. That's not why people are in that predicament. The reason why people go there is because they, don't re they reject the remedy. They reject the remedy for the sin that's in their life. They reject the remedy of the corruption that's in their life and the sin that's in their life of accepting the Saviour who will cleanse from all sin and all unrighteousness. But the Holy Spirit not only convicts of sin, He convicts the world of righteousness. And it's not the world's righteousness because the world doesn't have any righteousness. It is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. When Jesus was on the earth, what was his claims? To be the Son of God, able to forgive sins, to be holy, to be sinless. And so whoever would believe in him would be granted eternal life. And so Jesus comes and he is offering and he is telling people the way of salvation, how you get eternal life by coming to him. But Jesus died a horrible death. He was accused of sedition. He was accused of blasphemy. Even while on the cross, what were people shouting? If you are the Christ, come down. If you're the Christ, if you're the Messiah, why stay there? Come and demonstrate it and come down. Because he did not come down, people said, see, he wasn't the Messiah. He was just like any other person. He's now crucified. He's dead. Then he's put in a tomb. And he's in the tomb. And people say, there you are. Just like everybody else. In a tomb. But I'm not going to hear from him again. There was nothing special about him after all. But the Bible says, three days later, he rose from the dead. And he rose from the dead according to what he'd been telling people. Jesus kept telling people, three days later, I'm coming up. The Sanhedrin knew all about it, that's why they wanted the guards there. Because Jesus kept saying, destroy this body, three days later, I'll be raised from the dead. And the Bible reminds us, if Christ be not risen from the dead, then our faith and our preaching is in vain. But because Jesus is risen from the dead, his words are true. 
And Jesus rising from the dead demonstrates the truth of the words he spoke. His claims were true. His righteousness was established. And the scriptures declare the Jesus to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. This is undisputable proof of Jesus Christ's righteousness. And the Holy Spirit convicts of righteousness. The Holy Spirit convicts of that righteousness. You see, not only convicting of your unbelief, but he convicted of the righteousness because God raised him from the dead. Everything he said was true. And he demonstrated it in his life. So when Paul preaches to Felix in the book of Acts, the Bible says he reasoned righteousness, temperance, and judgment. And Felix trembled. Felix trembled as Paul preached to him. Righteousness. Paul preached to him, you need a saviour, Felix. Felix, you're in a bad condition before God. You're under the judgment of God. Your sin condemns you. You need a saviour. And he preaches and it says, he reasoned righteousness. That Jesus has risen from the dead according to all his words. Perfect and righteousness. And the Bible goes on to say the Holy Spirit convicts the world of judgment. Felix trembled at the preaching of righteousness and of temperance and judgment. The judge of all the world is the one who covered at the beginning Jesus, the sinless Son of God. The judge of all the world is the Lord Jesus Christ. The psalmist says, Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. The righteous judge, the Lord Jesus Christ, but notice John 16, 11, of judgment because the prince of this world is judge. The prince of this world is Lucifer, the fallen cherub, the one who comes masquerading as an angel of light. And because he is judged, everyone who follows him is judged also. So the work of the Holy Spirit is to convict of sin, the unbelief of righteousness, that Jesus is the righteousness of God and of judgment because the one who rebelled has been judged and we wait to see the sentence now being carried out. So we have John the Baptist preaching repentance. We have John the Baptist saying the Messiah is coming and he will baptize the Holy Ghost in the fire. And we see the work of Jesus teaching on the Spirit that when the Spirit comes He'll no longer yet be dwelling and be abiding with people, but he will be in them. And we see the work that the Spirit does of conviction. And so we come to Acts 1 4, where we get the promise of the Father commanded to wait at Jerusalem. We're commanded in verse 8 but to receive power, it's to be witnesses, it's to have that power 
so that as you go and you preach the word, you'll see the Holy Spirit convicting of sin and righteousness of judgment, but you'll also see the demonstration of the power of God because these things follow them that believe. And the one thing that, starts, that stands out in the scriptures above everything is when you go preaching the gospel, the first thing is demons start to respond. And so that's, if you want to see a righteousness come, you start to see the demons screaming out and being cast out. And there's healings and there's miracles because the word of God comes in power. But also, <coughs> along with Pentecost and the power to be witnesses, Pentecost also revealed a number of other things to us. One of the significant things that stands out is that in the, when people rebelled away back in the early parts of scripture in the days when they were at battle, the Bible says God came and dispersed the people and gave them all different languages. When you come to Pentecost, the Bible says as the Holy Spirit was poured out and remember this is prophesied, it's a phenomenal thing that has taken place. It's, a, it's, a, it's an event that's taken place that the whole of Jerusalem is stood up because it affects the whole city. But as the Spirit is poured out, the Bible says it wasn't fire, but the way the disciples described it was, and the Holy Spirit came down with tongues as of fire. Because it's a supernatural thing that's coming. And you only have natural language to describe something that's supernatural. But as that Holy Spirit fell on the people, they all began to speak in different languages. And the languages they spoke, all the nations round about, there were people there who could hear their own language. And that what God done back in the Britain and Babel to disperse the nations, here in the day of Pentecost, the opposite happens. Everybody hears in their own language, the wonders and the mysteries of God. But also something else that's very important about Pentecost. Very, very significant. Because Pentecost fell on the anniversary of the coming of God on Sinai. The coming of God on Sinai, I mean, it is found in the Hebrews. Chapter 12 through 18 to 27. The coming of God in Sinai wasn't a pleasant experience. Now, at this time, the disciples, after going through a roller coaster ride of being with Jesus, the crucifixion, waiting in the upper room all for these 40 days when the Holy Spirit came none of them would have taken it lightly none of them would have taken this casually none of them would be in any danger of looking at the words of God and just that was fine none of them would have been like that and so the writer to the Hebrews discusses and compares 
the events of Sinai with the events of Pentecost. And the one thing to observe is how dreadful and fearful was the experience to the children of Israel and even to Moses himself. The Bible says that Moses exceedingly trembled. Here you have this man of God who had intimate relationships with the living God. The man who could go up the mountain and get the tablets of the law and even when he comes down and breaks them, he can go back up again and God will give him a new set. But the Bible said in Mount Sinai, Moses feared exceedingly. And we know what happened in there, the 3,000 people who lost their lives. And so it comes in this anniversary. And here the writer to the Hebrews says, but you are not come to Mount Zion. But you have come unto Mount Zion. So you have come to Mount Zion. You have not come to Sinai. You have not come to the place where it was so dark. Where the judgment of God was there. Where the blackness and the fear and everybody was in trouble. They said you have not come to Sinai. But you now have come to Mount Zion. Unto the city of the living God. The heavenly Jerusalem. And to an innumerable company of angels. They did not come to this mountain burned with fire, blackness, darkness, temp tempest. Instead, they had come to Mount Zion. They had come to this place of the according of the Spirit and the goodness of God. And there was a total contrast from what happened all these years back on that same date and anniversary. And so there's a warning given because of this. In Hebrews 12, 25, it says, You've, You saw what God done in Sinai. And you heard the voice which was spoken in Sinai. And you see the results of what happened in Sinai. It says, You're now hearing from the voice from heaven. You're now hearing from the voice from heaven. And he goes on to say that those who refuse to hear him that speaketh, for if they escape not who refused him that spoke on earth, how much more shall we escape if we turn away him that speaks from heaven? And so they say here, he's comparing. God spoke. The darkness, the tempest, the judgment. It says, God has poured out the Spirit now. And we have come to Mount Zion. But here's a warning. If that's what he'd done on earth, now that he's speaking from heaven, you better be very careful. The one who's speaking from heaven tells us, how shall you escape if you neglect such great salvation. How are you going to escape if you neglect the salvation that God has brought for you? How are you going to escape if you ignore the, the work of the Holy Spirit in dealing with you? And how are you going to escape because you refuse to come to the place to receive power so that you can live from Him? And so this friend says, how shall you escape? How shall you escape? See, there's no escape from the living God. 
There is no escape from him. Everybody before God is open and transparent. He knows everyone. He knows our condition. He knows where we are. And he said, how shall you escape if you don't listen to him who speaks from heaven? And that is a warning. And so it's, although it was great when John the Baptist preached about the coming of the Messiah, how he's going to baptize in the Holy Ghost, although we see the credentials of Jesus as a sinless Son of God, although we see the work of the Spirit of God and how the Spirit deals with people, and we've got the promise of the Father, and we've got what happened at Pentecost so that we might have power to be his witnesses. And that Pentecost we see how God does the opposite of what he done at Babel, but he also reminds us of what happened in an anniversary many years past when he turned up. And he says, don't be like the people back in the wilderness. You're hearing the voice from heaven now. Be careful to follow and obey and to do everything that he speaks and he says to you. And the warning is, do not turn from the one who speaks from heaven. We do not turn from the one who speaks the words of eternal life. And it is serious because eternity doesn't give you a second chance. You only have one life to hear the Spirit of God and to obey the Spirit of God and to hear that voice of God from heaven and to obey that voice. So Father, in the name of Jesus, we come today and we stand in your presence and we see how the Spirit of God has this progression through the Scriptures. That we can now be filled with the Holy Ghost. The Spirit of God can dwell in us. We can be filled with the Holy Ghost, being a part of the witness. Father, we see this straight progression so that we can be a people of God, knowing our God. And so, Father, this morning as we just come to the end, we just pray, Lord, that we may see. All those who hear my words, the conviction of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come. And that they may respond to that word and come to the place where they will know the abiding of the Holy Spirit within them, knowing that sins are covered, nor washed in the blood of the Lamb, and knowing that God wants to baptize in the Holy Ghost. So that they will have power to live for you, Jesus, and to witness for you. So we just bless everyone, Father, today in the name of Jesus. Amen.